At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells... Amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy, the way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Civics 101 is brought to you in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hey all, Hannah here. Nick here. We hope you're all holding up out there. Here at the show, we've been leaning hard into responding to all of your wants and needs as best we can. And you know, when we first started Civics 101 way back in the day, when it was a very different show, it was in part in response to a flood of questions we were getting at the station after the 2016 election. Yeah, and those questions included a lot of, can this person do that? Is this addressed in the Constitution? How does that job work anyway? And unsurprisingly, those questions have resurged in a big way in the age of the COVID-19 pandemic. John Raby, a history teacher at Thornton Academy in Maine, wanted to know whether governors have the constitutional authority to close their borders. As governors across the nation continue to impose restrictive measures to stem the spread of COVID-19, is there a chance that one of them will just close the castle gates? And while we're at it, I figured we should understand how governors have the authority to do any of what they're doing right now. So I called up someone who knows. Uh, my name is Alan Greenblatt. I'm a reporter with Governing, where I cover state and local government issues. Governing is a news site and source on state and local government. Alan also happens to have written a textbook on state and local governance. And before we get to how governors are using their powers right now, let's get the role of governor out of the way. Well, governors are, of course, the lead political actors in their states, and they set the agenda. So that takes a lot of different forms. It varies by state, of course, but governors generally have the first swing at setting the state budget. They typically set the legislative agenda in general. Uh, They have a lot of appointment powers. They can hire cabinet secretaries and the like. They're commander in chief of the National Guard and you know, they can veto legislation and issue line item vetoes of of budget uh, items. All right, so this is not dissimilar from the powers of the president, right? Right, it's the chief executive of a state. Of course, each state has its own constitution, which is why gubernatorial powers will vary from state to state. Uh, Gubernatorial, by the way, means relating to a governor. But those formal powers are in times of relative normalcy, in which we are currently definitely not. Yeah, of course. So I think every state now has an emergency operations center, which comes into play. And so there's a certain command and control structure that is ready to go. And the governors actually spend a good amount of time rehearsing for emergencies, which is one reason I think governors have stepped up so quickly 
during this coronavirus crisis. Hold it, hold it. Governors rehearse for this? Like, for a play? Oh, yeah. Alan says that governors have plans for floods, hurricanes, even terrorist attacks. And they practice. They play out scenarios so that in the event of an actual emergency, they know that their plan could work. In in the current situation, I think every governor has declared a state of emergency. Let's just talk about uh, the actual action of signing an emergency declaration for a state of emergency in North Dakota. I am declaring a state of emergency to ensure that we are able to swiftly deploy the personnel and resources necessary to address coronavirus in Oregon. I have officially declared, done a declaration of emergency, which gives us certain powers. I am now issuing a state of emergency for our state of Alabama. I am signing an executive order declaring a state of emergency in New Hampshire. Most of them, if not all of them, have requested a federal disaster declaration, which frees up different federal funds. It varies by state. Some governors are able to unilaterally declare an emergency. I think that's true in New Hampshire. There are other states where the legislature has given the governor emergency powers. For example, uh, Georgia and Kansas, they've enacted legislation giving their governors new emergency powers. Okay, so the governor either has the power to declare an emergency or the legislature gives the governor that power. But this freeing up of federal funds, how does that work? Allen's referring to funds distributed by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, that's also called FEMA. If a state makes a disaster or emergency declaration, FEMA can then approve financial assistance for both individuals and communities to apply for. So if you go right now to fema.gov disaster, you will find a list of states that have made that declaration and whether their dollars have been approved which at this point is all of them, and FEMA has approved all of them too. But being in this state of emergency, though, what does it mean practically? It seems like governors are suddenly empowered to take drastic actions, like they can shut down businesses and they can shut down schools. And before we get to the border stuff, is that legal? The powers are broad, so it's not specified. The governor may shut schools may shut businesses, may do this. Some things are specified, but basically it says any actions relevant to the public health and safety. So basically they have broad authority. So, you know, it's going to vary by the statute and probably by the court, how expansive the powers are and what they can get away with. I mean, so far, uh, what we've seen is a move toward greater and greater restrictions. So basically, if it's done in the name of health and safety, can be done. But a state or a governor can always have their orders challenged in court. In your state, New Hampshire, there was a lawsuit last month challenging the governor's authority, whether he had the ability to limit large gatherings and therefore uh, protests and things like that. And the judge ruled that it was within his authority. He could, Governor Sununu could shut down those large gatherings given the emergency powers granted to the governor by, by the state. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of New Hampshire, though, That makes me wonder how a governor chooses what to limit or shut down. Public schools, restaurants, of course, I get it. But in our state, for some reason, golf courses can stay open? What's up with that? I think, you know, if you're governor, you are, of course, also concerned about the economy. And that's the argument they always bring up. They don't want to shut things down too fast or too much. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Alright, but let's get on to John's big question, because ordering businesses and schools to be shut down, asking residents to stay at home unless they need to pick up essentials, that's not the same thing as shutting down your border. Like on the national level, the border between Canada and the U.S. is currently, except for trade, shut down. Nobody's going in or out either way. Right. And there are a number of things to consider when it comes to the constitutionality of shutting down state borders. I mean, first of all, it's unprecedented in the history of the United States. And several Supreme Court cases have referenced the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the Constitution, that is the one that prevents states from discriminating against the rights of people from other states, and the Articles of Confederation and determined that we have a constitutional right to travel between states. The Articles of Confederation, they dragged that thing out of the closet? They sure did. And then there's the fact that it's Congress who has the constitutional power to regulate interstate commerce, something that would certainly be affected by a border closure. So it's also a question of who would shut down a state border. Would it be the state? Would it be Congress? Would it be the president? I don't know that we could have an a national quarantine or shutdown order uh, the way we've had statewide stay-at-home orders. Alan basically said that this is a tricky question to answer, as you know, Nick, are most constitutionality questions. And we should note, in terms of constitutionality, that's something that a court would have to decide in the event of a challenge. So right now, the furthest that states have gone is mandatory quarantine orders. Rhode Island said that they were going to stop and ask for uh, self-isolation from people with New York license plates uh, for fear that uh, New Yorkers were spreading the disease. And Governor Cuomo, the governor of New York, uh, complained. And Governor Raimondo, the governor of Rhode Island, seemed to back off. And then she said, well, we're not going to single out New Yorkers. We're going to stop people with any out-of-state license plates. Um, This has been a big concern. A lot of New England states and other places that have summer homes or vacation homes have been very wary about people coming in. I'm, I'm not sure that they could actually stop them. I haven't seen any state that's actually stopped people from coming in. What they've said, some of the southwestern states, for instance, are asking for people from New York or New Jersey or Connecticut to self-quarantine for 14 days. They're not blocking entry, but they're just putting this kind of public health provision on entering the state. And as far as a border closure order coming from somewhere else? If you are from the New York metropolitan area and you travel elsewhere, we need you to self-quarantine for 14 days to help us contain the spread of the virus. And I am now considering and will make a decision very quickly, very shortly, 
a quarantine because it's such a hot area of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. We'll be announcing that one way or the other fairly soon. Wait, there already was a federal quarantine order? Nope. I've been speaking to the president. Uh, this is would be a declaration of war on states, a federal declaration of war. That was Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. He basically said, I'm pretty sure that isn't legal at all, and it's a total violation of the Constitution, and the president backed off kind of immediately. The general consensus among constitutional experts right now is that even if a state border closure could happen and could be ruled constitutional, a shutdown like that is so opposed to American ideals, it's just really highly unlikely to happen. You know, Hannah, this question is reminding me an awful lot of a certain philosophical principle of which you are inordinately fond. Is it? Go on. This is federalism, right? This dance over the division of power between the states and the federal government, and even, in this pandemic, cities and towns and individual citizens. Exactly. The president pushing buttons, the state pushing back, and the same is going on at the local level. Governors are giving orders and cities, towns, and people are pushing back. Like that lawsuit against the New Hampshire governor, Chris Sununu, that he ended up winning. I should mention, though, that it's just like how federal law beats state law. State law beats local regulation. If a city says, close that beach, but the state says, nope, all beaches are open, that beach stays open. While we're talking federalism, I have just one last question. What are the chances that the strong powers claimed by governors in this time will set a big precedent for even more strong gubernatorial powers later on, even after the pandemic is quieted? It's always possible once once any political office, whether it's presidency or the governorship, gets new powers, they tend not to give it back. In this case, these emergency orders apply to a certain time frame. Either the legislature has set a date or... There's a time relevant to what HHS, the Federal Health and Human Services Department, has said. Uh, these powers won't last forever. So, you know, of course, it's possible there's a precedent. My guess is we won't really see too much of it that everyone recognizes that this is a true emergency. This is not a fake, fake emergency. This is a true public health crisis. So, like in all walks, we just keep our eyes on the horizon of normal life then. In the meantime, maybe we can take some comfort in the fact that federalism persists, even in the face of crisis. And this is something that Alan actually pointed out just before we hopped off the video call. So you've had different states respond differently, but you certainly had many states respond more aggressively than the federal government did, at least at the start. And so uh, in a way, our federal system may have been a blessing if you had just one authority in charge, and it chose to do nothing or do little, we'd be in worse shape than we are. State autonomy can mean strength and proactivity and innovation. And it can also mean disparities in the services and resources available to people just based on where they live. We're still those 50 little sovereigns in a single union. Connecticut's gonna beat this virus by sticking together and sticking to the rules. The restrictions that I put in place were in order to uh, require everybody flying back into Rhode Island from any domestic location 
to be quarantined for 14 days. Thank you for everything you're doing to ensure the health, safety, and well-being of children all across Pennsylvania. We will get through My priority this. as your governor is making sure that every Alabamian has access to accurate, up-to-date information about, about COVID-19 so that you can make decisions that will keep you and your family safe. Thankfully, a silver lining is beginning, just beginning to emerge in Colorado. The data is telling us that thanks to the actions we've taken and you've taken, we're starting to make progress. I want to encourage my fellow Georgians to hang in there. I know that you're tired of this. I know you want to return to business as usual, but we must first overcome the obstacles that we have in our path. Thanks to Alan Greenblatt for stepping in on very short notice to school me on gubernatorial emergency powers, among other things. You can find loads of coverage on state and local government in the time of corona at governing.com. This episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with you, Nick Capodice, and help from Jackie Fulton. Erica Janik is our executive producer and has issued an executive order to take a nap for once, for crying out loud. Maureen McMurray has shut down the borders between imagination and podcasting. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions, Broke for Free, and our old friend, Chris Zabriskie. Do you need a quickie episode on something that's been bugging you during this strange time, or during any time, really? You can at us on Twitter, we're Civics101Pod, or submit a question at our website, Civics101Podcast.org. Civics101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. I want to play you another report. Civics101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.